I think there's a lot of projects being done right now that may have some risk involved with them that people really have to get comfortable with. But at the end of the day, the space is going to grow. I think it's done a great job. You just got to be really careful with your knowledge base and who you're investing with. And that's, that's the most important thing. It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there. But how can we determine which strategies will best align with our financial ambitions? Well, you've come to the right spot. Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, our goal is to provide investors with insights and strategies for building our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Daniel Nichols, and this is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. Man, thank you guys for taking some time, having me on, and letting me share some, hopefully some impactful uh, nuggets of wisdom today. I'm, I'm really stoked. So thanks thanks for having me and I'm, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you here. It's uh, been a long time coming. So I'm glad to hear yeah. it for sure. Yeah, very stoked to have you on the show, Logan. Uh, you know, we know a lot about you. A lot about you. We've been following you for a while, um, but we kind of want to start there for our listeners who don't know as much about you as we do. So let's start there. Tell us a little bit more about your background and your life leading up to your real estate career. Absolutely, guys. So I grew up in Jefferson City, Missouri, which is the capital of Missouri. Not a lot of people know that. Small little city in the mid middle of the state. And, you know, I grew up throwing hay on the back of a trailer and sweeping floors and, and doing dishes to make money when I was 14 years old. I'm a big guy. So I, you know, I figured I'd I'd use some brawn to go make some money. And, you know, I really got addicted to um, you know, getting some capital into my pocket. You know, I didn't know what to do with it, but but I really loved having my own flexibility ability of putting money away and saving it. And, you know, I, I got hooked on Dave Ramsey way, way back when, 17, 18 years ago. And, you know, I was 14 years old and started my, my Roth IRA. I had to have my mom, you know, sign for the Roth IRA. I thought that's what you were supposed to do, right? I mean, that's what you were supposed to do is, is put money away and, and save it. Well, you know, I mean, I watched my mom work really hard, you know, her whole life, two jobs, putting us kids through school. And, and uh, I wanted to be respectful of the time that she poured back into me. And so, you know, I took a lot of my, my athletics and and you know my studies really seriously, and I got the opportunity to go play collegiate football at the University of Central Missouri, and had a great career there. Got picked up as an undrafted free agent with the Oakland Raiders when they were still in Oakland, uh, you know, and and I got cut, uh, which was fine. You know, I've had plenty of surgeries from football, and it was time to maybe use my head a little bit more than you know the brawn that I had, you know, to to make some money. And so went back to school, and uh, I went back to school to finish my master's degree. And this is really where my life changed. You know, I was 335 pounds at the NFL Combine. And, you know, six months later, after I was cut from the Oakland Raiders, I was 225 pounds. So I lost a ton of weight. But the real shift really happened mentally for me. You know, it was this, this idea that if you make decisions... Uh, and and they, they're good decisions. They can compound on top of each other. And if you have a goal, you take the right steps, you can actually get to that. And so, yes, I was going through a massive physical transformation, but I was also going through a really, really big mental transformation. So, you know, during that period of time, I was driving an hour to work, making 265 cold calls a day, and then driving an hour back to school for four hours at night and spending 12 hours in the in the, uh, you know, the library every single Saturday to keep up with my studies. And so, you know, what I learned through that was uh, I can level up my knowledge base and start making better decisions. So that's when I got hooked on, you know, Tony Robbins and Zig Ziglar and Brian Tracy and Tom Hopkins and Lewis Howes and, and John Lee Dumas, you know, the originals. And 
uh, I started to read. You guys watching this, you can see a lot of books behind me. And so I, I love to read and consume a lot of knowledge and experience from other people. And through that period of time, I lost all of that weight. I got a job, a different job, uh, secured a job before I graduated. But a big shift happened as well in my personal life. I lost my father uh, to his uh, addiction to drugs and alcohol during that same period of time. So you can imagine a guy that's identified as an athlete his whole life. And uh, that got taken away from him. And then he goes and loses 100 pounds and then starts working at, a, you know, uh, I'm not going to say a terrible job because it taught me uh, to, to accept no's just fine and keep on moving forward. Right. Um, but then I lost my dad. And so I had this big identity kind of crisis. And that's when I started to really pour back into my faith, into myself with all the personal and professional development. And that's kind of what led me to Kansas City, finding my wife getting into real estate and now owning our own firm and you know having 1100 doors under management. So that's kind of the journey. That's the the snapshot journey. There's a lot of things we can unpack in there, but I don't want to spend too much time on my background, but happy to answer any questions about that. Yeah, I'd love to dive into something real quick. You know, a, a lot of people kind of work their way through life, you know, they got a, a somewhat easy, you know, go to college, they get a job and then they're sure. there for, you know, X amount of years or whatever. But, you know, early in your life, you experience a lot of adversity. Yeah. And, you know, coming from from that to where you are now, do you, how do you think that adversity has played into your success today? Well, I think it's everything, Dan. I mean, I hit rock bottom. You know, everything that I was and who I was was taken away from me. And then an authority figure in my life, a father figure that, you know, no matter what your dad is, you know, relationship you have, you you look up to your father, you know, and I take that seriously now being the father of, of two children. But, you know, whenever I was going through that period of time, uh, thankfully, I had good mentors in my life that allowed me to say, hey, you, this is a turning point. This is the inflection point. You're, you're kind of flat right now. You can either go one way or you can go the other way. And, and you definitely want to focus on making good decisions right now. I took that really seriously. And uh, I was definitely still damaged you know, psychologically and mentally and emotionally. Uh, but what I did do was make good, healthy choices. And I poured myself back into my health and fitness and my mental health, which allowed me to start thinking differently. So that adversity brought the opportunity. Something happened early on to me that gave me the opportunity to start thinking differently. And I think that that's what's important. When the consensus is all telling you to think one way, you have to think independently for yourself. And so I was, I had this thirst. I had this thirst for knowledge, for the answers. You know, first principles thinking is what I've learned now is what it's actually called. But I needed to deconstruct complex ideas and build them back up from the ground so I could understand them and then really internalize them. And so I did that from a, a personality standpoint. I did that from a physical standpoint. And then I started thinking about making money in a different way. And so I started reading the books, right? Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, all of the, all of the books that people probably have, have talked about on the show already. And that gave me uh, at least a foundation to say, hey, there is a different way to build your life. And if you make the right choices and you start to work towards that, you actually can do that. Now, it took me you know, four or five years to working a W-2 job to say, hey, this is not the right thing for me. You know, being fired, I was fired four, four and a half years ago from my last W-2 job. And uh, that was another, you know, ticking point to say, hey, look, there, there's another point of adversity. What are you going to do with it? 
What are you going to do with it? And I decided no longer am I going to accept the mantra of going and working 40, 50 hours a week and trying to get a paycheck. I said, you know, I want to be paid for my performance and I want to build long-term wealth, but also build income at the same time. And there's only a few ways that you can do that. It's, you know, passively through investing, it's through business ownership, and there's some other things like that. Well, I'm not the smartest guy and I don't have great crazy, uh, awesome tech, you know, tech ideas. That's just not who I am. I'm a relationship based guy. So I said, okay, what, what's available to me? I like tangible things. And so I said, real estate, let me learn that. And that's when I went headfirst into that. So that adversity, just circling back to that, gave me the opportunity to think differently and the opportunity to say, Hey, you need to make, maybe take the road less, you know, traveled instead of the one that everybody else is. Now you got to, you dropped a, a lot of stuff there. There's a whole lot to unpack, uh, and and really this whole, you know, I've been kind of circling around this question. You really covered for the most part all of it. You know, just through reading and everything, you discovered your interest in in just building a better life, a different yeah. a, a different way about doing it. That's right. Um, I'm actually curious, like at this point, like what's your what's your current focus? Uh, like bringing that all together, like that brought you to today. What are you guys focusing on today? What's What's going on? What's that look like? Yeah, so magnitude in multitude, right? I talk a lot about this on the Compression Podcast, but one of the things that you can do in, in a mental model to think through when you're you're trying to build something is you can either be really focused on magnitude, meaning, you know, hey, I'm only selling a widget that's a million dollars, or multitude, I'm selling a widget that's you know 10 cents, right? You know, think about million dollars, hey, commercial real estate, or you know, 10 cents a pencil. Right. So I wanted to see how can I blend both of those together? And so I needed scalability. So what I wanted to do was build a business that you could actually put people inside of that business and leverage their knowledge, leverage technology and capital to actually grow that business. And so what we're focused on now is doing large scale multifamily projects. And we have built a team, an operational team to support uh, the business plans that we're implementing on those. But at the same time, I am really focused on building my people up, right? As much reading and, and experience and knowledge that I have, I'm packaging that up in a, in a nice little bundle for people to grab onto what they need, just depending on where they're at in their own journey. Because leverage of using people is the oldest form of leverage. It's not the most scalable, but in our business with tangible real estate assets, it is very important to have good people in the right seats driving that bus, you know? And so making sure that I'm building and pouring back into the A players that we have hired, which is, you know, close to 10 people now that we have full time in our business is, is creating the ROI for us to say, okay, now I get to operate in my sweet spot. Well, what is that? It's, it's capital, it's deals, you know, pairing those two things together. And I get to pour back into those folks that are maybe handling some of the stuff that I used to be accounting, operations, acquisitions, you know, all of those different things, investor relations, all of those different things that are extremely important to a business like ours. I can put people in those right seats, pour into them, and then watch them grow is very exciting for me. And I'm, I'm seeing a huge ROI on that. And so that's what I'm focused on right now is really building a team that can scale to a billion dollars of assets under management. And I know a lot of people throw the big B word out there, but it is not easy to get through. But guess what? The hardest part is getting to that first hundred million. That is where most people fail. Nine out of 10 small businesses in the United States 
United States failed. Darren Hardy taught me that in the compound effect in the entrepreneur's roller coaster book. And uh, I took that to heart. I said, okay, the first three to five years are going to be really tough, but we're going to embrace that grind. And we're going to say, hell yeah, let's do it. You know, it's going to be tough. But after you get a hundred million dollars, now you're having different conversations. Now you have a staff. Now you have people. Now you have people that are saying, oh my gosh, these guys are real. They have a track record. They, they're not going anywhere. And then those conversations change going from a hundred to 500 is one leap. Obviously going from 500 to a, a billion is another leap, but all of the, along that you have to continue to level up. So that's what we're kind of focused on right now, scaling a team and putting people in the in the right places to make sure that we can manage, we can we can obviously scale uh, and we don't have to stop and fix a part of our business because early on it was just three guys doing the thing, you know? And it was like, okay, we're going to go find deals. Okay, now we got to stop and raise money. Okay, now we're going to go find deals. Now that whole machine is working all at the same time. And that's why you see some of the scalability that you're seeing on LinkedIn and the social media. It's not because one guy's sitting here doing everything. It's because I'm able to put people in the right places to allow us to continue to, to build this machine that works without us having to be in it every single day. Well, in, anybody who's following you or FTW Investments, it's it's pretty obvious that you guys are crushing it. You know, especially recently, you guys are really, uh, you know, the production you speak of, uh, it's really there. And I kind of want to talk about that. You know, sure. Uh, you know, for the past twelve to eighteen months, uh, things have been, you know, challenging for some, different for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, but despite that, when that uncertainty was occurring, it seems like uh, you and your company, you didn't really slow down at all. In fact, just the opposite, really, just mashing on the gas. Really. Yeah. Uh, can you talk to us about your experience during uh, the past year and how you had the confidence just to ramp things up while other people were basically pausing. The two people had the, the impact on me on this. One is Grant Cardone. Love him or hate him. I'm not going to speak to his real estate knowledge or anything like that. The dude is a brand builder and he knows what he's talking about when it comes to sales and pushing through adversity, right? I mean, his story is very interesting if you really go back to that, but not speaking to what he's doing now or anything forward, but his book, The 10X Rule, really kind of cemented this idea in my mind is like when the going gets tough, when everybody's pulling back, when everybody's cutting staff, cutting their marketing budgets and looking left, you have got to go right. And so that was the the idea that I had, you know, right when COVID-19 happened, right? I mean, I knew I wanted to to do real estate deals, but believe it or not, we had $25 million worth of neighborhood retail shopping centers under contract in March. And then guess what? COVID-19 happened. Then I dropped every single one of those and pivoted and bought 900 multifamily units. So I think that Grant Cardone had a big, you know, impact on that, but so does Sam Zell. You know, you have to go back to a fundamental thesis of what your business is. And if you're thinking about a fundamental thesis, when you think about multifamily, you know, we need 4.5 million, you know, uh, multifamily units built over the next 12 years. That's 350,000 a year to service just the current population, right? And, you know, the population growth that we're going to see, which is obviously declined. Uh, we understand that. But at the end of the day, we haven't hit 350,000 for the last five years. And so there's going to be a supply and demand kind of contribution to what we're doing. So the fundamental thesis of multifamily, the fundamental thesis of workforce housing. You cannot build uh, workforce housing anymore. I mean, you just can't to, to make it fin financially work. And so we started to say, okay, now that we have the fundamental thesis, where are we going to do this and how are we going to do it? And so then that's the, the problem that we started to try to solve for. And I think during COVID-19, I mean, Everybody was like, "Man, I I can't uh, I can't buy prop properties, and and I, I don't know where they're going to be from a you know an NOI standpoint." I said, "Great, 
I, I've got four or five years of of operating, you know, data from deals that I've either brokered or been involved in, and uh, you know, frankly, I feel really good about a price per door between forty five thousand and fifty five thousand dollars, and it's commanding seven hundred and fifty dollars in rent uh, already. You know, so we just kind of looked at that and said, okay. If we can figure out the debt component, which was not easy, we can figure out the equity piece. There's going to be less competition in the market marketplace, and we feel good about real estate for the long haul, right? We're not buying these things and selling them tomorrow. We're buying these things and selling them in five, seven, 10 years. You know, COVID-19 is probably not going to be the same impact it's having right now five to 10 years from now. So if we can just get through this period of time, I think we're going to be really, really great. And so a lot of the projects we bought last year, the basis that we're at have already gone up by 80 or 90%, believe it or not. So we had a big opportunity and we we, we, we took a big swing, uh, but it might seem like a big swing. But for us, when you break it down to the fundamentals and the thesis that we were working on, it made a lot of sense. So I think that we just had the confidence to be able to do it. And then we actually got it executed. I love that you speak to the fundamentals and just breaking it down and, you know, just looking at it from a bird's eye view, you said, this is what it is. This is what we have. How can we make this work? And you guys went out there and just crushed it. And I think that yep. speaks a lot to, you know, the people you guys have put into place and the systems you guys have put into place. And just again, just that thesis that you were talking about. But another component of it, I think is, is investor appetite, right? Can you That's talk right. a little, a little bit about investor appetite over the last, say maybe 12, 18 months up to where we are today? Well, I do a lot of studying on macroeconomics. And one of the guys I love chatting about this with was a previous guest you guys had, which is Brian Adams. You know, his LinkedIn posts are a lot about macroeconomics. And if you can understand fundamentally and mechanically how money moves, not just in the United States, but globally, and the what the appetite is and how people are in the options that people have to invest in, that really started to hit home for me. And so I started to think about okay, we're seeing a massive uh, you know, change in our industry right now, in our country and worldwide with COVID-19. Yes, everybody's pulling back, not spending money. All this stuff is happening. We got inflation, we've got interest rates, all of these different things, right? So you have all these different components. But what, what I saw was the opportunity to say, hey, what is the stock market doing right now? It's skyrocketing. What is our economy doing right now? It's shutting down. How does that fundamentally make sense? Well, a couple of reasons. One, lots of government funding thrown back into the economy, right? Uh, fiat money being thrown out into the economy, and we're literally giving people money. So that was the first one. And then the second one was a very, very low interest rate environment. So those two things said, okay, that's probably what is bolstering the stock market. But when you look and study price to earnings ratios over the last 15 years, and you start to see where we were at 12 months ago, where we're at today and where and what was going on to the economy, the things just did not match up. So I, I played on that thread quite a bit, but I had done a ton of work relationship-wise with people that really trusted in us. And I think this is the main point to drive home is no matter what's going on in the economy, no matter what deal that you have, people invest in the jockey, not in the horse. You can have the best deal with the wrong operator and it could go really bad. You can have a mediocre deal with a great operator that really values what they're doing and the deal can just sing. And so we talked a lot about risk and reward and relationships and trust. And thankfully, we had built a brand up, not necessarily FTW at the time because we're, you know, that was just started in May of last year, but we had built those relationships with investors up to that point to say, Hey, this is the thesis. 
we're moving now. Are you joining with us? And thankfully, uh, we had a ton of votes of confidence from our investors to do that. Yeah. Love to hear that, man. And, you know, that's, uh, I think it speaks again, a lot to what you guys are doing, you know, you get out there, you're talking with investors and, you know, you're giving them the right information and they, you know, they have the confidence to invest in your team, which I think is obviously very important. Cause like you said, uh, you got to invest in the jockey, right? That's the, that's, yeah. that's the biggest thing right there. So, you know, one thing I want kind of want to talk about real quick is one thing we've noticed Chris and I, since diving into real estate syndication is that once you're on board, it's really easy to basically be consumed by it, really. You know, Chris sure. and I have talked about this before, and it almost seems like everyone is using this investment strategy because we're just so in it, right? And yeah. But as you well, very well know, that's not really the case, you know? In at fact, all. there are many people who don't aren't even aware of these investments at all, really. So, uh, you know, you guys are in the, the world of private placements. So, yep. I want to get your opinion. What do you think, uh, in your opinion, do you think these types of investments, the private placements, will gain more attention from potential investors going forward? A couple of things have happened on this front, guys. The Jobs Act of 2012 that the Obama administration put into place really gave the opportunity for folks to leverage the internet to find out about this. So, that's the, that's the first thing, right? Legally, uh, this just started not that long ago. Okay. So that's, and, and making it widely known from, from, you know, all the ends of the world through the internet has been uh, a relatively new uh, kind of development. The second thing is the, the wave of education, right? I mean, you guys are in the space. We're on a podcast right now. There are so many different shows, so many different educational groups that have started to really ride that wave of education, good and bad, because a lot of them just make money through the mastermind group and they're not really doing real estate deals. But there are some really great opportunities for people to get access to knowledge and to, to relationships and resources that they would have had uh, previously. I guess the third thing I would say on this front is the SEC has made it easier for people to get involved in these projects. So they've changed kind of what the accredited investor uh, qualifications are. They're trying to make it more known. I mean, I think the uh, the commissioner of the SEC has gone on record multiple times saying, we want more people to have access to private placement memorandums. And so you're starting to see different those, those different types of opportunities become much more widely available. Here's, I think, the, the thing that people have to really think about is is, you know, just because they're available doesn't mean it's the right thing to do, right? Everybody in everybody's position has, they're coming from a, a very unique scenario. There is no one size fits all in this, in this kind of world. But what I would say is the question has changed from, should I invest in commercial real estate or just real estate in general to how much of my portfolio is allocated to real estate, right? I think it is just because of all those factors that I mentioned, uh, people are starting to say, okay, this is a real thing. There are great operators out there that are doing this, and this is available to me. And so, you know, and then they got the education piece where people can get the education for free. Then you got the SEC saying, hey, we're going to make this easier and we want people to be in these types of investments. So I think it's got a long uh, run here. What, what I'm trying to watch is, you know, because of all of those factors, you know, are people doing projects just because they can? And, you know, I see a lot of different opportunities uh, all the time. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't agree with the thesis on, on a lot of them, but that's just from, from my perspective, right? And so, you know, I think that people have to understand what the business plan is, understand the mechanics of all the waterfall structures, 
how you're getting paid, and then make sure that you really feel comfortable with the people that you're investing with. I mean, that is just the, the crucial component of this. So I think that as people are younger, you know, younger people, millennials are starting to, to make more money. They use the internet. Well, what's all over the internet? New investment opportunities. And so as the millennials get older, as Gen Zers get older, the, I think the space is just going to continue to, uh, to grow. That being said, I think there's a lot of projects being done right now that may have some risk involved with them that people really have to get comfortable with. But at the end of the day, the space is going to grow. I think it's done a great job. You just got to be really careful with your knowledge base and who you're investing with. And that's, that's the most important thing. Absolutely. I think, you know, Chris and I, we talk about this a lot on the show is, you know, you really need to be doing your due diligence on, you know, the the sponsor and the, the deal as much as you can itself, right? I think it's one of the most important things you can do as a passive investor, right? Is kind of what we talked about before, betting on the jockey. Um, you know, uh, Logan, this has been a great conversation. I know I've learned a lot. Chris learned a lot. I'm sure I know our listeners will as well. But before we get out of here, we want to take some time and shine the spotlight on you. So tell listeners more about your businesses, your podcasts and anything else sure. going on. Well, I appreciate that, guys. One thing that I've spent a lot of time on the last two months is with all the noise out there, with all of the confusing, uh, you know, different opportunities that people have, I, I wanted to put together kind of a training that allowed people to evaluate any type of investment, not just commercial real estate, but really give you a mental model to say, hey, what are the 10 factors that I should be thinking about uh, when I'm looking at a new investment? And so I put together a training. I think it's great. I spent uh, close to fifteen dollars or $16,000 on this training, the content getting it, you know, put to, to put together all these different things. I think it's very high quality. And you can find that at ftwinvestmentsllc.com slash action plan. And it's a great 60 minute training. There's some printables out that you can you can start to really understand what you should be thinking about in regards to investing. You can apply it to the stock market. You can apply it to you know private equity or venture capital, or you can apply it to commercial real estate. That's something that's been near and dear to my heart, trying to cut through the noise and allow people to have some sort of framework to start thinking about investing. So I would love people to, to check that out. And I, I, I definitely garner and, and appreciate any feedback as well. I, I'm always trying to get better myself. And so if there's confusing parts of it, I'd love to clear that up for people as well. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, absolutely. We'll make sure to link that in the show notes so anybody can check that out. Sounds like a wonderful resource. Uh, I know that a lot of our listeners will be able to take advantage of. So thank you again for sharing that. Bet. Logan, Logan, it's been a great conversation, man. Really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you guys for having me. Hey, real quick before we get out of here, do me a huge favor and leave a rating and review for the podcast. We're always looking to bring you guys the best insights and strategies for building our real estate portfolios and your ratings and reviews really help with getting top guest speakers that are the best in the real estate investing business. I promise this will only take you a few seconds and I'd really appreciate it. Thanks for being awesome, guys. Cheers.